0: Gen X playback episode number 38.
1: Welcome to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are listening to Van Gelis and the theme, The Chariots of Fire. And Sean, why would we be talking about that uh, on tonight's episode? Well, it's because we're going to talk about sports movies tonight. So. We
0: we are. And that uh, theme for Chariots of Fire is one of the more famous movie themes Period. And I would say as far as a sports theme movie, which Chariots of Fire is, that that may be the most famous theme song. I would I would say that even if
1: there are there's probably many people that are going to listen to tonight's episode that maybe haven't seen the movie Chariots of Fire, but I would really be hard pressed to find a Gen Xer that doesn't know where this song came from. Sure. Very identifiable. Uh, it was a huge hit back in 1980, 1981. 81, yeah. And it was, you know, the movie was very critically acclaimed. I remember our parents taking us to go see that in the movie theater when we were little. And it's not a movie that, as a as a young kid, and we're going to be talking about this probably in a little oh, bit. Oh, we will, for sure. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's, I think some of these movies that we're going to talk about tonight, Sean, that are centered on sports movies. I think, for me, some of these movies I didn't get as a kid, as a young general Xer, but got a real appreciation for them as an
0: older adult. And I think that's the difference between you and I with our ages, where when this movie would have come out, I was a teenager. I was 13, and you're 10. Mm-hmm. So I think I totally understood and got what was going on with the movie. Academy Award winning movie, mm-hmm. by the way, I, it, I, I I imagine that theme won some awards as well. Sure, um, but, but that—that was—I'm kind of glad you opened with that, where it does kind of sum up what I think we're going to go for tonight. And as you know, Scott has mentioned, we're doing sports movies, but you know, in many ways, the sports movies aren't just your stereotypical—you um, know, here's a team, they're going for the, the championship, and oh, by the way, they win, everybody's happy. A lot of these movies had other things going on besides that, like Chariots of Fire. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that movie, and maybe we'll save that and get into some detail. But that movie is kind of about the background of two specific Olympians from the 1924 Olympics. Yeah. And it more or less is a a story of how they overcame. And so that's kind of one of the nice things about sports in general. And sports movies, when they're done well, it oftentimes is about... Uh, an individual, a group of individuals, or a team that's able to overcome and triumph.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that about a movie being done well. And I think Gen X really took the sports movie and made it mainstream and made them well. But, uh, you know, you go back to sports movies throughout the better part of the 20th century, and you had some like a splattering of movies here and there The Pride of the Yankees, mm-hmm. uh, Fear Strikes Out. They weren't that very. They weren't that common. A, a movie that was out in the '60s that was very popular with Paul Newman called The Hustler, uh, which we may or may not be talking about later on tonight. Well, it's the 1960s. Yeah, so so but, it's not on my list. Okay. Yeah, but there there weren't that many sports movies that came out even in the '70s. But with the popularity of a couple of movies, it kind of started this this sort of onslaught of sports movies that not only were kind of camp sports movies were kind of funny you get you pay these actors to try and be athletes and many times it didn't work out too well because while they're good actors they're not necessarily good athletes right and um but as the actors kind of evolved over time you started bringing out somebody like a Kevin Costner who who not only was an actor but he played college baseball so when he goes out there in a movie he looks the part, and it, it, it brought more realism to the movies, made them more convincing, more believable. And by the end of the 80s and into the 90s, you started seeing more and more sports movies coming out. And I don't know if you pay particular attention when you were coming up with your list, but I was doing some Google searching and things like that. But Gen X, I think, had so much to do with, if you looked into the 2000s, like from 2000 to 2010, did you see all the sports movies that came out in that time period? It was almost like it. all the movies that we're going to talk about tonight in Gen X, that much was done in a 10-year period in the 2000s. I think that was a direct result from the success of these movies that were done during Gen
0: X. I did look at that, and there were, there were a lot of movies that were pretty close to being the Gen X era. That came in like 2000, 2001, and I was a little disappointed that I wasn't able to put them on my list. And I, I would agree with you. Yeah, it seems like a direct result. But I'll also add this, too. I'm sure that there's some listeners out there when they tuned in to this episode and they said, oh, great. I'm not a sports fan. They're going to talk about nothing but sports. This episode won't have much of interest to me. But I kind of disagree with that because I think there was a lot of movies in the Gen X era that may have had some type of sports connection, but they were loved and enjoyed by people that didn't like sports. And, and, I, and I'll prove that because we're going to start on our list right away scott sure and we're going to get into what i have titled contact sports okay so contact sports okay and i'm going to go right to the top and i'm going to go to the og rocky okay and of course the rocky we have the original rocky rocky one rocky two rocky three rocky four and rocky five throughout the gen x era
1: you know just as iconic more iconic i think the chariots of fire is This theme song Done by Bill Conti Who's such a respected uh, uh, Instrumental Composer Has done so many movie scores And soundtracks You, know, you listen to this and you wouldn't think Hey Bill Conti did the soundtrack to the Karate Kid Which he did which had a very You know uh, Asian Influence as far as the music in that But this This song that goes down so famous in the area in which we grew up, it's so synonymous with Philadelphia and the Philadelphia region that it's
0: it's done in it nausea sometimes. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I still yeah. love it,
0: but you still love it. Yeah, it it still makes me want to work out. It still makes me want to to get up early. Uh, I'm not going to drink a cup of raw eggs. I I won't go that far. But I have listened to this to get up early to motivate myself to go work out. Well, just the opening
1: scene of the movie when Rock is fighting Spider-Rico at the Blue Horizon and they are pounding on each other. You know, it starts with the dun-dun-dun-dun. That's how the movie starts. So it kind of gets you going from the, from the beginning. But the Rocky franchise, which even continued on to a certain degree with Creed later on, but the Rocky franchise is really the gold standard for sports movies, particularly one done after another, like Rocky alone could have been a one and done, and would have been a great film but to have essentially four, yeah five more that came out after that in the Gen X era, but uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone did very well to stay in touch with the times when the movies came out, and they, they were very
0: strong and very popular And the movies, while they centered around boxing that that's the sports hook the connection that we have but the stories were so much more than that you know it, it especially you know the original one's still the best i think it, it's it, that they, they're they all good in different ways but but the, the the original one lays the foundation it's the one that put stallone on the map it's the one that that you know broke the franchise and here you have this down and out guy who just had this light that wasn't really going anywhere he's He's somebody that breaks legs for a loan shark, mm-hmm. and he's just this guy that kind of has this dream of continuing to fight and uh, as a boxer. And then he gets lucky, and that Apollo Creed wants to have a a, a show for the uh, for the bicentennial, and he wants an Italian guy to fight. And he liked the name. He liked the name, the Italian Stallion, or the Italian Stallion. He, he thought he he thought he could sell the name, and sure.
1: Rocky, at its core, the the particularly the first one, and I think it kind of carries throughout the whole franchise, is the relationship with Adrian, his wife. In the beginning, it's his girlfriend. Uh, you know, actually, when the movie starts, they're not even dating. They go on their first date. She's working but, at
0: the uh, the the animal store. But it's it, at its core, it's a
1: love story. You know, if you think about it, the the, the relationship between oh the uh, Rocky, original movie or yeah. the franchise because the I franchise changes the, the franchise changes, but I'd say the original movie. But that were but they were able to maintain that 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 love relationship throughout the entire franchise. But Adrian was so unbelievably awkward in the first one. Great job done by Talia Shire. I mean she was comes from the Godfather franchise and she got nominated for an Academy Award, uh, you know, as Adrian in the first Rocky. But she's kind of thirty years old, and her life has gone nowhere. Rocky's thirty years old. his life has really gone nowhere. They have you know, the common uh, equal partner there is Paulie, who's Adrian's brother, and Rocky's best friend. He's kind of a loser, so they're just they're just kind of they're just kind of going through life, and all of a sudden they're given this great magical gift of him getting a chance to fight for the the heavyweight championship, and it literally
0: transforms everybody's life. So I think the common thread throughout the Rocky franchise is that you may take a beating sometimes. It could be in the ring, or it could be more metaphorically where it's life that's kind of beating on you. And Rocky always is able to pick himself up. It's it's you know what Mike Tyson once say that you know everybody's a great fighter till you get punched in the face, and it's how do you respond? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Rocky's like. You know, look at every movie; they use the formula. Every movie, Rocky is almost counted out and he gets beaten and he just takes a shot and takes a shot and takes a shot and then at some point he just he gets angry he does something he gets motivated it is the true underdog story but that's life right right and that's kind of what you can take from that for those of you who aren't sports fans you can take the metaphor of the of the boxing and use it to life where you know rocky in his personal life he starts out and he is poor and then he rises to the top, and then by the time we get to Rocky Five, he's poor again, mm-hmm. and it's it's dealing with those setbacks. Do you remember what his turtle's names were?
1: I do not. You don't coffin link. <laughs> I, I We never <laughs> would have come up with cuff that and link, and he bought it from Adrian at the at the pet store. Yeah, there you go. So you started out with the Mount Rushmore. I, I with mean, that, with well, with Rocky, and,
0: and you know, and also kind of like to to hook people in to say, look, this is more than just we're going to talk about some, you know you know five yards and a cloud of dust type of movie and, and we're going to get all in motion these are good movies mm-hmm. and i you know i have always gone back and watched the, the the rocky movies and you know and think about throughout the gen x era while you and i did not see the first two in the theater
1: mm-hmm.
0: we saw the rest in the theater
1: mm-hmm.
0: and these were events when when the latest rocky movie came out you were excited to go out and see it yeah absolutely
1: um that was as big a part of, you know, my growing up, my teenage years. Like I, I told already told the story on the show about after we saw Rocky Three, how I got home and I was so pumped up that I, you know, punched a pillow for a couple of hours after 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 the movie was over. So it was a it was an adrenaline rush, especially for somebody, for me, like I was 11 years old, it was it was a big deal.
0: Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna include all those Rocky movies from 1976 through uh, 79, 82, 85, and 90. So all the all the uh, the first five Rockies are included okay. on, on this list. So as one that won a lot of awards and is was very critically acclaimed back in the day. And another boxing movie, and that's Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Did you see Raging Bull? I did. I saw it when I was younger, and I saw it more recently. Yeah.
1: And it is to me, again, it was one of those timing issues for me as the the first time I saw it, I didn't, I really didn't understand what the purpose of the movie was. It was just to me, Jake LaMotta played by Robert De Niro was an unlikable guy. I just thought he was this big jerk. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as you get older, you can kind of understand a little bit more of where he's coming from and, but, you know, the way he treated his brother, Joey, played by Joe Pesci, and the way he treated his wife, Vicki, that was played by Kathy Moriarty. Uh, you know, he was just, he was just, just awful ogre of a person and, and, uh, but uh, I just actually literally watched it, I think, last week. Oh, really? It was on, it okay. was on
0: TV and it's a brilliantly done movie. I don't think I've seen it maybe 10, 15 years, but... You know, it's it's something as you said. I got more as I as I was older, and it uh, you kind of it much like Rocky. I think this might be typical for a lot of boxers where they ride the mountaintop, but then there's a time when they're no longer the champ, where a lot of them struggle. And Jake LaMotta certainly was one of those guys. Do you remember LaMotta when he was living?
1: Not really, no.
0: Well, I, re- I remember watching like, I don't know, 60 Minutes or some type of news piece where they were talking about this former champion who was like a stand-up comedian. Right. And it it wasn't that funny. But I do remember this guy, this Jake LaMotta guy out there telling jokes. And then it turns out that that's kind of what he did at his restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then Rocky kind of... Sylvester so Stallone kind of borrows from that in what, like Rocky Five, I think, is when he's kind of doing the same sort of thing where he's at the restaurant kind of telling stories and jokes. And, that was the Rocky Balboa movie oh, in okay. Okay. 2006. Okay. two thousand six. So, you know, the, the, the Jake LaMotta character, is def- he definitely hits some hard times. Yeah. And I remember, you know, because De Niro is one of those method actors, and it just stands out to me mentally seeing overweight Jake LaMotta where he like has like the shirt on that's like way too small and his belly's <laughs> hanging out. Well,
1: according to Jake LaMotta, I guess in, he, he trained De Niro for the movie because he didn't want an actor portraying him as a fighter if he wasn't believable. And I think, really, uh, De Niro's portrayal of LaMotta was one of the first movies where a guy looked the part mm-hmm. as an athlete. Oh, he did. And even Jake LaMotta said about De Niro was that if this guy really would have put the time in and would have trained as a professional boxer, I guess he fought a couple of, he actually fought some amateur fights to get ready for the movie mm-hmm. under an assumed name, and he won them all. Oh, that
0: sounds totally like De Niro.
1: And, but Lamada said that he would have been an all-time great middleweight if he would have literally done it as a, as a professional. He was that good.
0: Great. Great, great movie. And if any of you out there have not seen it, go out and see it. Even if you're not big boxing fans, I highly recommend that movie. Well, another thing
1: that I thought was great about the movie is um, Kathy Moriarty, who plays his wife, Vicki, in, in the movie. Uh, you know, in the movie, they meet, and Vicki was 15 years old. So Kathy, one of the reasons why they cast her, she'd never acted before. This was the first movie she'd ever done. She literally, um Joe Pesci had just found out that he got the part as De Niro's brother, Joey, uh, Jake's brother, Joey. And he saw Kathy in a swimsuit contest at a local disco in New York. She was right out of high school. She was 18 years old. And he thought she looked like a little bit like LaMotta's real real wife at the time, Vicky. So he went to her and he's like, hey, can I take your picture? And he showed it to the studio executives they liked it, and they brought her in as, as a casting call. And in her, you know, eighteen years old, she makes her very first movie. She gets nominated for an Academy Award hmm. for uh, for best uh, supporting actress. And um, I just thought that was a really cool story because she looks young in the movie because she is young in the movie. She's right. little eighteen. She's right out of high school when they when they made that movie. How about that, Joe Pesci?
0: He, uh, he he's like one for discovering talent. He also discovered what Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. <laughs> Frankie so. Valley, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So way to go, Joe Pesci. All right, that's Raging Bull. Next one on the list is a movie franchise. I admit I only saw the first one, uh, it, but you know the first one for me is 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 a, is a great movie, and that's the Karate Kid. Karate Kid is um. I've I've since really have gotten into Cobra Kai the, the Netflix series but as far as when that original movie came out in 1984 I thought it was a great one and I still really enjoy watching that movie
1: Remember the montage in the karate tournament?
0: Oh yeah, this is what song that was being played. So of course you have Daniel Larusso. Yep. Uh, you have uh, Johnny Lawrence.
1: And uh, Daniel Larusso, uh, that Ralph Macchio made that movie. I mean, Pat Morita was great as Mr. Miyagi, but yeah. Ralph Macchio. Could you have imagined anybody else playing the part of Daniel Larusso in in this movie?
0: Could you have imagined anybody but? Billy Zabka being Johnny Lawrence,
1: and it's it, no. And, and I mean, he turned, played
0: a perfect bully and jerk.
1: He did, and and that's why I think the way that they evolved it, and many Gen X fans are huge fans of Cobra Kai, and yeah. I, I have no, I, I have no problems talking about it on this show. But the way that they evolved the story, and they kind of flipped the characters. Into reverse roles, right? Where I became brilliant. Yeah, I was. I was
0: Team Johnny. But they did it in Cobra Kai.
1: But they did it in a way that was, you know, it it made they they wrote it in a in a way that made
0: sense. It was respectful to the original characters, yes, and it it was it was believable. You know, they obviously in the movie they make or in the in the show Cobra Kai they make a lot of references to uh, Karate Kid Two. I think that's when he goes to Japan. Uh, credit Kid Three. I know that's when Terry Silver comes back and kind of trains yes. him, and then Terry Silver makes an appearance uh, in Cobra Kai. I, I When I say I never watched them, I've seen enough clips where I'm familiar with them. I don't think I've ever sat down and just watched them from start to finish.
1: I have. Well, <laughs> and and, and I and
0: I kept and I <laughs> want to just because I got so into Cobra Kai, but I had to go back and and make and familiarize myself with some of these characters just yeah. to know just so I could get the references. But that original to uh, Kid, that is one of the essential Gen X movies, if there ever was one.
1: Absolutely, and it really tells a story that I'm sure a lot of people had gone through, in one way or another. Not only is it again, it's an underdog, mm-hmm. underdog story, but it's a it's a kid who's trying to adjust to life on the other side of the country. Sure, you know he he didn't want to move to the West Coast. His mom forces him to go out there. He's having a hard time uh assimilating with the kids his age and when it seems like he finally has a little bit of success here comes this bully and basically humiliates him in front of the entire group of friends that if he was going to have friends that was going to be it and so now he's humiliated and nobody wanted to have anything to do with him again except the girl ally you know that that ends up staying staying by him but everybody else had, had deserted daniel at that point
0: and then he finds Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi reluctantly trains him, and trains him in the old ways, and gives us some of the, the quintessential Gen X lines, you know, mm-hmm. wax on, wax off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, we still throw those out there we do. today uh, with kids. And it, it's, it's the, you know, the, the classic underdog story, like you say, but it, it's also an example of how, where sports shows you that, you know, if you put the time in. Mm -hmm. and you train and you you listen to your instructors and you 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 do things properly it can pay off for you as it does for daniel in the tournament
1: yeah yeah and i know one of the things one of the main themes there towards the end of the movie was was finding balance you know finding balance in life finding balance in karate finding finding that balance that that will make you be at peace with yourself and even they the one scene with with miyagi when he was drunk and he finds that, you know, uh, Daniel finds out that he Miyagi had a wife, and and, uh, his wife was pregnant with what was to be their child, and she died during labor, and the baby also died, and so, you know, he even finds out that, you know, Mr. Miyagi has, you know, has experienced a pain in the past himself, so I, I think it touched on a lot of it wasn't just a sports movie where it touched on a lot of things that a lot of people could relate to.
0: And also the fact that, you know, when Daniel gets injured in the tournament, obviously Cobra Kai uh, intentionally hurts him to try to get him out of the tournament. But he still didn't let that keep him, hold him down. He still fights back. He still gets out there and he still is able to come out victorious.
1: Yeah. And you talked about, um, you know, Billy Zapka being the being the bad guy. Yeah, uh, John Kreese. Crease was, mm. was, was a, for, a, uh, for a sensei, I thought he was a pretty good villain
0: also. He's a, he was a scary guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. so that's the Karate Kid, uh, iconic franchise of the Gen X era. All right, I'm going to throw two out there, and I'm going to kind of put them together. And I think, you know, this is heavy on the cheese factor. Okay. All right? So I, I admit that. I know that going in. But... We're going to throw two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies out there. We're going okay. to go with Bloodsport and Kickboxer. Because in many ways, they're the same movie. And two movies, again, I saw probably within the last two weeks. <laughs> did you? Yes, I did. Uh, so, I obviously, if you watch those, and, you know, and Bloodsport came out in 1988, and then Kickboxer came out in 1989. Mm-hmm. I liked those movies at the time. Okay. I remember me and my friends went and saw them in the theater. Okay. I didn't see them until they went
1: to video. I didn't get to see them in the movie theater because... I, was, I didn't know who Jean-Claude Van Damme was until I saw him in the, uh, you know, they did, they did okay in the theaters, but I think the video, the VHS tapes is where Van Damme really became super famous. Mm-hmm. It was after the movies came out. Now, granted, when those two movies came out, then all of a sudden you started to see more uh, movies that featured him that were a little bigger budget, like Universal Soldier. I remember that was a big one that had him, and it had um, Dolph Lundgren in it. Um, but yeah, Bloodsport and Kickboxer, who was Kickboxer, the guy who played Tong Po, was actually Van, Cl- Van Damme's best friend in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. They actually uh, both grew up in Belgium. They both came to the United
0: States with the idea of becoming action stars. So for Bloodsport, which uh, I, I like that movie. I mean, it's it's, it's so bad that it's awesome. It's it, over the top it, in a way. It's it's they're they they're trying, I think, really hard, and it's kind of funny how they they're trying so hard. But I, you know, the the whole idea is, you know, you have a Frank. Yeah. Who's, who's Frank? Do is that how, how you, or Ducks, or how you say his name? I you're right. I started with a D. Yeah, and but they would always call him Frank, and yeah. so he's you know he's in the military, and you know he's going to this this underground, this secret tournament. Kumatai. Kumatai. and you know it's it's. Basically, a fight to the death, or it can be. Well, you know, it's it's a complete submission. To, you
1: don't you keep fighting until the other guy quits. Is, is what it is, and it's it's this supposedly now, according to the, the screenwriters, that there was a guy named Captain Frank Ducks or whatever his yeah. name was that claimed that this was a real thing, and uh, you know because that's why in the opening credits it says based on a true story. Even though the story, but supposedly what they thought was supposed to be somewhat realistic, I guess, turned out the guy made some false claims. But it was the whole concept of a guy whose real life name was what the Van Damme character's name was in the movie.
0: And there was a a reporter, uh, you know, an attractive reporter who, you know. Becomes involved with with Van Dam and she can't be ugly, right? Yeah, and uh, she's trying to uncover this secret underground tournament that's taking place. And you know, of course, you know, spoiler alert: uh, Frank wins the tournament. He does, you know. But uh, I, 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 I think it was you know this holds its place among the, these types of movies. They, you know, the, this was a common theme among some of these these movies. Just you know, very very macho, very you know, a lot of training uh, sequences. It, it was definitely you know, kind of inspirational for the guys who want to hit the gym. Slow motion, uh, you know, a lot of biceps, yeah. a lot of...
1: We were all at, at that age, you know, we we're all, like you said, we we're all going to the gym. We we're trying to make our bodies look the same way.
0: So, and then also kickboxer, you know, same thing. It. You know, there's, there's another tournament in Thailand that he's going to, and he... Um, his name's Kurt Sloan. I think his, his brother fights in the tournament. His brother th- through some dirty moves, becomes paralyzed from the waist down. Of course, Kurt, who's the Van Damme character, has to has to go out and uh, you know get seek vengeance for his brother. And yes. much like the Karate Kid with Mr. Miyagi, uh, uh, Kurt seeks out this old master who trains him in the old ways. Old ways of Muay Thai. Yeah, which, I don't know... For those of us who had a tendency to, to like to go old school, there was something just appealing about that. Sure, there was.
1: And it didn't hurt that, uh, you know, he had a very attractive niece. <laughs> this was never a daughter. Oh, yeah, right. His niece.
0: Right. That,
1: uh, that, you know, ends up being a love interest.
0: Now, eventually, Kickboxer kind of uh, starts a franchise. Never saw any of the other movies. Never had a desire to see any of the other movies. Same. Um, I know they're out there, but, you know some of you Gen Xers probably really like them it, it's I was one and done with the kickboxer all right so my final combat sport movie is the movie vision quest and wrestling movie it's one of the uh the the best high school wrestling if not the only high school wrestling movie I've ever seen it it uh, we talked about this in a previous episode mm-hmm. and it just you know Loudon Swain um The whole idea of him, you know, dropping down a weight class to fight a champion, Mm -hmm. to to fight shoot, who's the best wrestler in the state, it seems. And just, you know, the fact that he was up for the challenge, even though people didn't want him to do it. And, you know, that kind of, you know, parlays into how sports can help you with your mindset sometimes. Because oftentimes in life, we're afraid of the challenge. You know, we're we're comfortable. Loudon Swain could have stayed in his weight class, and he could have been successful, mm-hmm. but he was willing to risk uh, that security. He, he was willing to take a chance. He was willing to lose because he knew the success would be greater if he took on the challenge. He was chasing greatness. Yeah. And that is
1: another thing that really connects with, with people who were watching the movie at the time. Again, he's a, a major underdog going into that match against Shoot. but I think between that and people realizing that you know, chasing a dream is a very real thing for anybody in life. And that you brought up Vision Quest, is funny that I didn't even pick that. Uh, but as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, why did I not even think about Vision Quest? I knew you've always spoken very highly yep. of that movie.
0: Yep, the the middle of the 80s, 1985 is when that one came out. and that And that movie did
1: such a good job of sort of, Floating between the, the the wrestling was almost in the back in the background because there was so much else going on with uh, you know Loudon and, and his friends and working at the hotel and the love interest in Linda Fiorentino that the, the wrestling didn't it wasn't front and, or it wasn't front and center but it's an essential part
0: of the movie it was it so. was so that kind of rounds up my convex sports did you have any other? of that that type of uh area of sports well
1: i wanted to talk about one movie in in related related to boxing and probably because the movie came out i think i was of the right age came out in 1983 and it was a boxing movie but it wasn't a professional boxing movie it was called tough enough and it was a movie that was starring dennis quaid i don't know if you remember this Uh,
0: i i kind of remember this Yeah. yeah i do it
1: was based on a real life uh Boxing tournament where it was real, real guys off the street. You signed up and you competed. It didn't have weight class. It just had. It just it was like a tournament. Mm-hmm. And and it was this this went on for many many years. It still may go on. I'm not sure, but it did all throughout Gen X, where these guys would come in and they were strictly amateur construction workers, cops, whoever, and they would compete in this tournament. So it was the the tournament itself was called a tough guy tournament and uh so they made a movie slightly about it starring dennis quaid where he was the struggling country music singer yes yes i remember this and he joined this he entered this tournament because
0: he needed money and he had like a kid as yeah. well yeah he had a wife and a kid yeah. i remember there's a scene where he was playing the guitar and singing and his kids jumping up and down yeah so it, it for
1: me it was like i said it was it came out when i was about 12 years old and for me, it was—I I thought it was an entertaining movie. Dennis Quaid was was really good in it. It's it's a movie I I would recommend for people to go back and revisit. It's it's you know it's not anything on the level of a Raging Bull, but it's a highly entertaining movie uh, with a, with an actor who does a, a real nice job of playing a regular guy, and he's going up again. He's by the time he gets to the championship fight, he's got to decide, uh, you know, if he he has an opportunity to advance his music career, but it's going to be at the peril of di- taking a dive in this championship fight. So he's kind of got wrestling you know, with a, with a little moral issue there as far as what he should do in this situation. But it's, it's a movie I recommend that you go back and check it out.
0: Well, nobody should take a dive. So I have a feeling I know how that movie <laughs> turns out. That, that sounds like the type of movie that – you and I would have watched at like one o'clock in the morning on Prism. Well, I think I remember us watching on like HBO or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean so. I, that's I, that's why I remember watching yeah. it. Yeah, I, I remember it, and but it may have been forty years since I've seen it. But yeah, no, sure, I do remember that. Okay, so for for boxing movies, that was that was pretty much you you
1: talked about the Karate Kid. Um, yeah, that was that was it. I have for like like the contact
0: category that you were speaking of. Okay, so my next category is basketball. And there, there is a fair amount of basketball movies in the Gen X era. And just like I did with combat sports, you know, I went right to the top, I went to the right to the Mount Rushmore. I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to kick it off with 1986's Hoosiers. Okay. And one of the, I think, quintessential sports movies ever. And one of the, the bigger movies of the Gen X era.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the funny thing about Hoosiers was that the main actors in the movie were so convinced that it was going to be a bomb that they were that they were i guess they didn't like the way it was being shot by um, you know by the director they i guess they shot things out of sequence and they just weren't happy with the way that the movie was being was being done and after they saw it after they went went back and they went to preview it for the very first time and they're watching it and then all of a sudden it hit him and was like, oh, wow, this this ended up being so much better than we ever expected. Because even Gene Hackman said, there's a scene where him and Dennis Hopper are sitting on the bench and they're laughing. That's what they were talking about was how awful the movie was. Okay. <laughs> and he said that, he goes, I'm not going to lie, that's what it was. We were, we were sitting
0: there literally saying, oh, he's doing such a terrible job as director. And of course this movie is, you know, based on a real story, it's uh, small town Indiana where the... Uh, you know, typical sports movie and, and hopefully in sports in general where you can have the underdogs that through hard work and through through intelligence they're able to kind of rise to the top and here's a, a team from the 1950s in small town Indiana that wins the state championship in underdog fashion in underdog fashion
1: but I think um, you know it also it's it's a movie about Redemption uh, exactly because With Gene, Gene Hackmans Gene character. Hackman's character, was at one time one of the best college coaches in the country, and he gets into this altercation with a player. He basically, essentially gets banned from the state of New York. He's not allowed to coach up there anymore. And this is, this is the last-ditch effort only through a friendship that he was able to get this coaching job in the first place. And when he comes in, he's hated. Yeah. He is so hated by everybody in the town because they, they feel that the team should go in, a di- in one direction and he
0: has a much different idea of how things should be run. Well, the previous coach passes away. Yeah. I mean, that's how he gets the job in the first place. And there's the best player in the team is Jimmy, and Jimmy is extremely close to the previous coach. And Jimmy has decided he's not going to play basketball. And he there's there everybody in the town just thinks Jimmy needs to play, but and Gene Hackman, his character, um, you know, Coach Dale, makes absolutely no effort to go bring Jimmy in. In fact, he goes the, in the other direction. And as, as Scott just said, you know, the, the player or the, the, the parents do not like the way coach Dale is, is going about running his practices. And he is, he's going purely old school where he, they're not even shooting the ball. They are going back to the basics. Well, his, his first run in with the
1: townspeople, he goes to the barbershop. And as soon as he walks in, they literally start firing off questions about, what offense is he going to run, and how is he going to play here? And and they start talking about other schools and teams because they did have some success previously. They were for a small team, they were good, mm-hmm. but they weren't great. Right. And he is kind of put off by it. And I think one of the critical points of the of the whole movie is when Jimmy decides that he is going to play, and it's it's Jimmy's the one that saves his job because they have the town meeting, and he's voted out. Remember right. they they have the first count, mm-hmm. and then Jimmy walks in. He says, "I got something to say," and they're like, "Yeah," because he's a star player. Sure. And he he goes, "I think it's just, I think it's time I start playing basketball again." And everybody thinks it's because they're firing the coach, and they start cheering. Yeah. And he goes, "But on one condition, only if Coach Dale's the coach of the team." And everybody just sits there in in stunned silence, and then they say, "Well, let's get a re, let's get a recount," <laughs> and then all of a sudden he somehow miraculously uh, uh, wins by a landslide.
0: Right, right, and it, it it's great to see this run and and how you have these different characters come into play. And this happens in sports, you know, Scott. You you have experienced this as, as I have. Sometimes you'll get these these bench players that will step up, and they will they'll have their moment, and 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 they they can shine, and it's something that they can have for the rest of their lives. But you you need that sometimes because the stars can't always carry the load, and and that this team has that. Yeah, it and it
1: has so much. There's a lot going on besides just the basketball. Well, which is and you could talk about Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper's a character. Yeah. Um he uh, he's the father of one of the players, and the son. Although the son's attached to him, but the son's quite embarrassed by him because he's the town drunk, and just for him to, and Coach Dale, as a way of reaching out to Shooter to kind of sober him up offers him a job as an assistant coach on the team because he does know basketball. He knows the game. And so for a while it works. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a guy who's trying to make good in his life, trying to do right by his kid and still stumbles. Right. Um, but yet they're able to come together, uh, you know, father and son and still keep moving forward, uh, you know, in and, in repairing their relationship.
0: And then of course there, there's a great end to the movie in the championship game where, you know, Jimmy makes the shot and it's, did you, did you hear the story about, about that game no. winning
1: shot? No, he hit it on the first take. Did he? Yeah. And that's why the people went nuts. The, it was, the extras going crazy. It was, it was natural. It was a natural reaction because they're like, okay, you know, we're going to have to be ready. And so, you know, they, they run the scene and they run it. Lit- I mean, it's literally just shot from the baseline. So they set the whole thing up, and he does a little fake to the left, goes up for the top of the key jumper, and just drain nothing but net, and they said the place just exploded.
0: Well, what I, I always liked in the movie where, you know, it, it's down to the end of the game. They call a timeout, and they're they're going to drop the play. Coach Dale says, they're going to expect you to get the ball, Jimmy. So we're going to basically use you as a decoy, and we're going to have someone else take the shot. And Jimmy's like, I can make the shot. Well, well it's good good point that you brought that up because the players just kind of like
1: they their heads sure. sag yeah. and they're like cuz everybody's expecting jimmy to take the shot and and he's like what's the matter what's wrong with you guys and so then jimmy just looks at him and he goes i'll make it and I guess, okay you know that they, they they've come that far you might as well you might as well finish it out,
0: so. right? In true Larry Bird fashion, or Michael Jordan fashion, or in the m- modern age, the LeBron James fashion, the, the great players want to take the shots at the end of the game. So, yeah. great movie, Hoosiers. Next up, next basketball movie is White Men Can't Jump from 1992. Um, a different movie, more about street ball. It you know we we have um, Wesley Snipes in this mm-hmm. movie. Woody, 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 Woody Harrelson yeah. in the movie and uh, Perez Rosie Perez are, are your three main characters, and the um, Woody Harrelson and and Wesley Snipes, Snipes are a couple street hustlers, especially especially uh, uh, Woody, who's who's Billy in the movie, yeah, and he's intentionally playing this. He comes across as this this uncoordinated, geeky white guy who can't play. But deep down, he actually was a former college player that has a lot of game. Well, all he has to do is just sit
1: there on the side. He goes to these L.A. playgrounds and just based on what he was wearing, they make fun of him. Sure. So he's just sitting there. And whether they both are hustlers, Wesley Snipes' character is much different. He's much more extroverted than than Woody's character who just kind of quietly sits there. But uh, it turns out that Wesley gets hustled in the beginning of the movie by by, by Billy, Willy. yeah, and uh, they end up. Turns out they they have a really good uh, chemistry on the court together, so they end up hustling together to make to make a bunch of money. And then Billy
0: gets hustled by, by Wesley Snipes' character yeah. at some point. So it's a lot of back and forth. In there's it's a funny. Um, little side note is that the rosie Perez character is into jeopardy well that's her life's ambition is to get
1: on the show jeopardy and she that's all she
0: studies for and then they they she does get on the show she actually does pretty well she dominates yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i thought it was it was a cool movie woody harrelson was already a very well-known actor at that point but it was tv on the show cheers right and it was a much different character than the one he plays in the movie so woody harrelson has gone on to have a Huge movie career. It's, he's in him and Samuel L. Jackson are probably in seventy percent of Hollywood movies right now. Uh, but he's had a very long and illustrious career in movies. And I think this was the first. No, it wasn't the first one because he did Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox. It was like a little side character.
0: But he wasn't the main he wasn't character here. He, he was a main character. Yeah. So what stands out to me about this movie is right about this, right around about a year later, 1993. I'm I'm on a ski trip out to uh western pennsylvania uh, go to seven springs uh, me and a couple friends we decided to leave and go skiing when the forecast was calling for a blizzard because you know we're young and we're like yeah what, what's the worst thing that can happen well we got snowed in for about three four days okay and we got snowed in like off of the the, the highway at in a motel where trucks are being pulled off of the road nobody moved in the state of pennsylvania at that time so we're in this this uh, hotel with hbo was that february 2nd by the way uh, <laughs> groundhog day yeah, <laughs> Man, remember, yeah that's remember true. they had to turn around and go back to punks it was just like that <laughs> scott and but we had hbo and so we watched hbo around the clock and I think I watched White Men Can't Jump three or four times okay. over that that span. Uh, I, I probably could reset all the lines at some point. Okay, But uh, that and Radio Flyer was the other movie that we were watching all the time. Okay. in their own. But we're not talking about that in this uh, episode. It's going to be White Man Can't Jump. So, uh, you know, a movie that maybe some of you have forgotten about, but it certainly is very popular back in 1992 when it came out. Another basketball movie that comes out in 1994... And I'm sure you've seen this one, Scott, and it is called Blue Chips. So it. it's, it's a, the the Nick Nolte is is the coach, and it's the first time many of us see Shaquille O'Neal mm-hmm. and Penny Hardaway. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and also it was creatively it was designed to look like the UCLA dynasty. Uh, you know the it, it wasn't UCLA, but the colors were the same. I know Bobby Knight was a consultant. On, on this particular movie. It's about a, a head coach who was once the considered the best coach in the country in college. And now he's fighting the he, – he's on that, on that fence where he could step over it and do what the boosters want him to do and illegally go after players and start recruiting and paying players to come play for his school. Or he can take the moral high road and – and not have a team that's as successful, hardworking, but yet not as not as great as what they
0: you know could do if they cheated. And this was something that was very real back in the '80s and early '90s, where some of these programs were notorious. Oh, well, absolutely! It came out you know less than ten years away from
1: when SMU got the death penalty in football mm-hmm. when they got their football program completely shut down. There was a lot of that going on, and you know, you say going on. I wouldn't be surprised if it still goes on today, but it was
0: really, for the first time, being brought to the public's eye. Charles Barkley said that when he came out of Auburn and turned pro, he actually took a pay cut to play for the Sixers because he was getting paid all that money under the table when he was at Auburn. Eric Dickerson, when he
1: went to SMU... And they said he drove around and it was this beautiful brand new Trans Am that was supposedly registered in his mom's name. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have two nickels to rub together. Well, he either. said
0: he'd he come back to his room. Dickerson said he'd come back to his dorm room and there'd be a bag of money on his bed. Yeah, And that's that's how it was done. So that's kind of the premise of the movie is is Nick Nolte is making this this decision that at some point he says, yeah, go ahead. And he tells the boosters to go ahead and start getting people. And it it is through this movie that Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway actually meet. Mm-hmm. And then Shaquille, in real life, starts to uh, put pressure on the Orlando Magic to draft Penny Hardaway. And, and then they eventually do pull off the uh, a trade and they do get him. But it is, the movie itself definitely depicts what the struggles that, that these major programs would have gone through deciding, do we want to pay and be successful or... Do we want to kind of do it the honest way? Yeah. Uh,
1: so that was yeah that was a movie I thought about and certainly uh, certainly deserving to be on your list.
0: And and at the end of the movie, uh, Nick Nolte kind of does have this this revelation and he kind of redemption in a way where he kind of walks away from the the glory and then they show him out there just in the playground. Just teaching kids how how to shoot a basketball yeah. and going back to the basics, so that was the movie Blue Chips. I'm going to mention another movie that I didn't really see, but I, I do want to mention it because you know it was fairly famous, and that was called The Fish That Say Pittsburgh. <laughs> <You> may, <laughs> that was a movie that starred Doctor J. Yeah, it did. And you know that's that's kind of the main reason I throw that one out there. It's I I think I saw it on television for a little bit. It didn't. It doesn't really stick with me that much but there was a bunch of nba players that appeared in that movie it was and i never saw the whole movie yeah so that's why it didn't make my list and i if i remember correctly the the someone had the idea that this struggling team could do better if they all they had were the all same, pisces they astrological the astrological zodiac sign, sign, yeah, yeah and and yeah. so they were all pisces so they were the fish to say pittsburgh yeah I, I don't necessarily recommend that movie but you know what the heck i mentioned did? yeah a movie that i did watch from that same era saw it on television on one of those like movies of the week uh, do you remember the robbie benson movie 101 from 1977 i do not did no. you ever see any part of it at no. all it, this is robbie benson he's and like i said i saw this like on the abc movie of the week and he's this hotshot basketball player he he Goes to like a, a major college in in Los Angeles. Obviously, UCLA is kind of what they're trying to make it seem like. But he goes there and he's very undisciplined. Okay. So he's kind of a freelancer, kind of think Allen Iverson in a way. You know, he's the he's a small po- point guard that kind of creates his own shot. But he's more, you know, he he, he dominates the ball. And you know, the co- coach didn't like it. He he struggles. He's having a hard time adjusting to college life. At, at one point, he even. Someone even convinces him to take some, some type of uh, speed or something when he's on the bench, and he doesn't play really well. Um, and then he gets benched. He, he's, the coach wants to pull a scholarship, and, refu- and he refuses to give up a scholarship, so the coach just buries him. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, he has to play um, the Robbie Benson character because due to injuries, he comes in. Of course, he dominates. And plays really well, and then he, you know, he's he gets his position back, and he basically tells the coach that he can go shove it, you know, take this job and shove it. Like <laughs> we talked about our other episode, because now he's proven himself that he could play anywhere if he wants to. Okay, and uh, now, the, another romantic that. interest in there, and one of the the things that stood out to me with that is that Robbie Benson was a good basketball player. Okay, and he does the whole thing; he does the whole movie himself. There, there's no cutaways, there's no stunt individuals he actually had some game it kind of like you were saying with kevin costner mm-hmm. that he actually was an athlete and could pull it, off, pull it off and it was realistic
1: yeah and that's the i'm sure when you make a sports movie it's got to be it's got to be a tough call it's so it's such a bonus and an advantage when you can find a guy who's athletic and in uh, an actor who played some type of sports like give you an example um Harmon, um well, from NCIS. Mark. Mark Harmon. Yeah, he was quarterback. Mark Harmon was a college quarterback at UCLA, a yeah. major program. Mm-hmm. So anytime he does anything sports related, he looks the part. You know, Kevin Costner played college baseball. And I know that when they were making the movie uh, Field of Dreams, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but in the movie Field of Dreams, when Ray Liotta was playing the part of Shoeless Joe Jackson, just the fact that when you watched him hit and when you watched him throw and you watched him run you're like that guy's an athlete sure and and it's important i think to make a good sports movie you have to have not only uh, you can't just take a bunch of athletes and make them actors but you can't take all actors and make them athletes right
0: right so there you go uh one-on-one maybe some uh, a movie that maybe some of you will remember maybe some of you don't remember at all but you know that it would definitely was was a gen x movie okay uh my final two basketball movies Kind of a little more comical. And the first one I'm going to say is Space Jam from 1996. You know I never saw that movie? Uh, I, I've, I've seen it on TV clips. I've never watched it from start okay. to finish. Uh, the idea is that, you know, Michael Jordan, it's kind of like in real life. Michael Jordan's going to go play baseball and, you know, he's walked away from the game. And then these Looney Tune characters, they 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 get into this altercation with the, the nerd lux. And they, the you know, Bugs Bunny, because you know Bugs is shrewd, they they decide they're going to settle their differences with the basketball game because, well, you know, the Looney Tunes are bigger than the Nerdlucks. So Bugs thinks they can dominate. However, the Nerdlucks decide they're going to take over Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, and Muggsy Bogues. Sean Bradley! Yeah, I know. That, that makes no sense. And then they, so then the Looney Tunes go off and they recruit uh, Michael Jordan to come in and kind of save the day.
1: I say that folks because Sean and I were huge 76ers fans. When the Sixers drafted Sean Bradley to the point where we paid a pretty penny to go watch him play. Yeah. And I think he played like 10 minutes that night and we were so angry.
0: I I had high hopes for Sean Bradley yeah. and obviously so did the producers of uh, Space, Space, Jam Space Jam because you know they put him in the movie.
1: Well also Bill Murray was in that movie. Yeah, uh, right. So it was yeah there was, it was a star-studded cast and it was extremely popular. It's just a movie I I I missed. I didn't get I never watched I it. I think it's
0: something that a younger a younger Gen Xers probably got, you know, so it came out in nineteen ninety six and you know, some people a little bit younger. It, it was targeted towards them. It was a you know, kind of a Disney type of movie, but w- would it have been Disney with Looney Tunes? I, I don't know who has no. the who was the franchise.
1: No, that was uh that was Warner Brothers. Okay, so,
0: so it'll be a Warner Brothers yeah. movie. But but uh very popular. And then my final one is Airbud. Did you ever see Airbud? I never from saw it. So nineteen ninety seven. That's the where the golden retriever plays basketball, okay. and, and of course, when when they're playing, and and you know to back up a little bit, you know this was the bud buddy was he was owned by a clown, but a mean clown, kind of an evil clown, and then so buddy runs away and he gets you know, taken in by this by this young boy who's you know is playing basketball, and lo and behold, buddy can actually knock baskets it, it, basketballs into the hoop, and so there's one time when. You know, they're out there playing and Buddy of course runs out into the court and everyone's yelling and can't believe Buddy's out there. And magically Buddy gets one in the basket. They consult the rule books. The rule book and the rule book does not say anything that you have to be human to play. <laughs> so dogs are permitted under the rules because there's nothing against dogs being on the court. Sure. You know, of course, you know, Buddy eventually comes and wins the championship for them the whole time. Much like Frost of the Snowman, where the the bad magician When it is hat back? Yes. Well, the the clown now wants this dog back again. So there's all this back and forth on the side. But Bud, Buddy does come in and kind of save the day. So Air Bud is, you know, my final basketball movie. Okay. I have one to to add to it
1: that uh, I watched. It came out probably around 1994-ish. It starred Kevin Bacon. I know people don't really think of Kevin Bacon as being in a basketball movie, but he was. And it's called The Air Up There. Never saw and it. it was a movie about he was an assistant college basketball coach, and they found it was like a rumor a myth about this uh this tall African uh tribal member over in Africa that supposedly somebody saw and he had like these unbelievable gifts that he looked like he could translate into playing basketball okay so he flies over to Africa and he ends up living with this tribe for a number of times because he's trying to convince this young kid to come over and play in the States and go play for his college. And it's kind of a sweet movie. Uh, You know, he's learning about the culture from where this young man's from. And, you know, there's certain fears about going to a place that you're not familiar with and, you know, going from Africa to the United States, there was a lot of fear involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was, it was just a nice movie ends up playing. There was a rival tribe and they end up uh, playing in this basketball game at the very end and uh you know it it falls in line with it, you know Kevin Bacon is a great actor and unfortunately dribbling the basketball and and, and he can dribble I'll just okay we'll just leave it at okay. that but you know but it is it's it's a sweet movie and i i think you know it's if you're looking for uh, you know a couple hours to just a, a light harmless movie uh, the air up there star Kevin Bacon
0: is was one worth All checking right, alright Alright, um, moving on uh, We're going to go to golf I actually have three golf movies yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know Scott has considered all three of these First one, we're going to go to 1980 And that is the classic Caddyshack Starring Chevy Chase and Bill Murray Rodney Dangerfield And the legendary Ted Knight
1: Ted Knight does as much to make this movie As anybody Of course, this is the scene from the pool Remember, it was Caddy Day from 1 to one fifteen. <laughs> That's right. They could use the pool. Kenny Loggins. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many famous people that end up coming out of this movie. Rodney Dangerfield. You mentioned Kenny Loggins. Ted Knight. Chevy Chase. Just Bill Murray.
0: Brian Doyle Murray
1: What a great yeah, Brian was one of the script
0: writers That helped mm-hmm. write the movie I, I I love his His role As the head of the caddies Where he's always telling guys To pick stuff up Off the ground Well Supposedly He worked that
1: based on Because he worked at a Country club mm-hmm. And he said that His character Lou Was based on His boss At the country club And he said A lot of the lines That he He stole, literally stole From his old boss Okay Where he's like They pick up that tissue Yeah it's like is that, is that gum over there? Pick that up. And um, but it's such an endearing movie with so so many wild over the top characters that it's uh, you know you talk about a Mount Rushmore of the sports movies. Mm-hmm. This one goes right up there.
0: And who can forget the famous Bill Murray scene where you know he's you know, he's talking about you know young up and coming groundskeeper at the you know story coming out of nowhere. It's in the cup. It's in the hole.
1: Well, anybody that is a golfer has used lines from the movie on the golf course. Mm-hmm. And I've done so many times. And it actually worked once where I was at the Honeybrook Country Club. And I hit a putt. And it goes right up to the edge. Right up to the edge. And it was kind of breezy out that day. And what did I say? Die gopher. And the wind blew it in. Oh, it actually great. dropped in. i like, hey, it worked. There you go. But every, any golfer is like, you know, Cinderella Story, or if it's raining, they mm-hmm. keep playing. They yeah. keep playing. I don't think the worst is yet to come down. And the good Lord
0: wouldn't ruin the <laughs> best round of my life right. with the bishop. So. Right. So, you know, it's, it's uh, a movie that's tied to golf, sure. But there's a lot of other things going on. And, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, you know, certainly is, is playing that um, the stereotypical new money. Mm-hmm. Guy who's who's made it big in the world that's now going into the the upscale country club world that's inhabited by Judge Smales, um and who's who does not want anything to do with this 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 brash guy. Judge Smiles.
1: It's easy to grin when your ship comes in and you got the stock market beat, but a man worthwhile is a man who can smile
0: when his shorts are too tight in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, Pookie.
0: Yeah, great movie. Um, I'm sure most of you Gen Xers have seen it if you haven't what's wrong with you go rent it it's it's it is one of the all-time classics i
1: think everybody who's listening right now has seen catch right State. so we
0: don't need to break down that movie scene by scene so my final two uh both from 1996 one is you know a little more realistic than the other and that would be tin cup starring kevin costner yeah kevin costner at this point is the king
1: of sports movies at least for gen x cuz he had done already you know bull Durham field of dreams he mm-hmm. did 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 a movie in 1979 called uh was that breaking away or something like that the cycling movie
0: uh that's dennis quaid isn't that I one
1: costner was in that movie yeah, he too. may appear
0: in it but that dennis quaid's one of the main he guys was the main character because yeah. he that's actually a movie on my list
1: okay but yeah he's now he comes out this is another ron shelton movie ron shelton who uh had done white men camp jump as well as some other movies that we're going to talk about for the you know at the rest of the evening but it is kind of a realistic take on, but a funny realistic take on uh, golf and professional golf,
0: and kind of this burnout, right? So you know, Kevin Costner, it, he is this—he's uh, he, this, this guy that has a ton of talent, but what's he doing? He's kind of managing a driving range. He has
1: always—he has always had the talent, but his head has always been the issue. Like at some point, he either gets angry. Or he tries to make some type of a stand somehow, but it always ends up blowing up in his face. And that's why you said he owns this kind of dirty driving range. And he meets this woman that he becomes attracted to, but she's dating his arch rival. Played
0: by Don Johnson. Who does a really good job. Who would be David Sims. David Sims. And yeah, Don Johnson does a great job being a jerk.
1: But you know what? He's not always a jerk in this movie. I think one of the best scenes of the movie is after they're celebrating because he qualified for the U S open 10 cup qualifies and David Sims comes to pick up his girlfriend. Who's who's Molly Rene Russo played by Rene Russo. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, machismo going on back and forth between the, and, and David's just kind of sitting like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough game. And, and like, I bet you, I could hit this seven <laughs> iron further than you. And so they, you know, so of course Tin Cup hits first, and he crushes it out there in the, in the uh, driving range, and they're like, oh, that's that's got to be at least two hundred and twenty yards, and he goes two twenty seven, and so then David Sims is like, okay, it's my turn, and like, don't you want to take your jacket off? And he goes, no, I'm good, I'm good, and so he looks at the driving range, and all of a sudden he just turns, and he swings, and he hits a perfect bouncer right down the road it's going all the way out and it rolls 500 yards and he goes there's your lesson and he takes his car and i thought it was just a great scene in the movie where you know uh, roy mcavoy is still as talented as he is he still has a lot to learn about uh, you know what it takes to win
0: right so right and what one of my favorite parts of the movie is the character romeo Played by Cheech Marin. Yeah, Cheech
1: Marin did a great job playing right and, and
0: for me, that's really the first time he kind of reappears, like on this scene. I mean, I, I knew him well from the Cheech and Chong movies. Which was Nash Bridges after the, this or before?
1: It was around the same time. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he was kind of on the show with Don Johnson. Yeah. And so they, you know, I, I give Don Johnson credit, you know, for kind of like, you know, having his buddy and he'll come along in the movie with him. I, I assume that's how it worked. But, you know, Cheech Morin after the whole probably mid eighties, he kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't in the spotlight as much. Yeah, yeah shaved he, his mustache off. Cheech and Chong, they they were definitely seventies, early eighties, and then yeah, there was a little bit of a hiatus
0: there. Where, but he did he did a great job of kind of transitioning from being the leading person in a movie. You know, with Cheech and Chong, you know, he and Tommy Chong were the the main guys, and then he has his whole second career as a sidekick, right and Cheech and Chong, they were the lovable
1: losers. Yeah, um, you know, and Romeo was was a guy who was known. He was respected by everybody. Like people would come up when he was when they were there at the U.S. Open. People would come up and talk to him. So obviously, he was a guy who had some kind of a career that people
0: knew that he was, you know, one of the better swing coaches
1: uh, out out there.
0: Yeah, so. good movie. Uh, then my final golf movie is the nineteen ninety six Adam Sandler classic Happy Gilmore.
1: And that is a movie that still gets played a lot today. Yeah,
0: so what it, <laughs> I'm
1: sure there are people that have a love hate relationship with Adam Sandler, but I I sincerely love this movie. I mean, I really do. There's so many there's so many fun and great characters, and it just for me it just rarely it rarely gets old because uh, I, I think there's just there's so many faces in there like Bob Barker. Bob Barker, that's one of the great scenes of the whole movie where, where they play that pro-am together and Bob, Bob Barker kicks the crap out of him. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Happy Sandler has this guy who doesn't want to be a golfer. He wants to be a wants, hockey player. He wants to be a hockey player. And he has this dream of being a hockey player, but it just so happens he can drive the ball over 400 yards on the golf
0: course. Right. So And he's got to save Grandma's house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he found out he can make some money playing professional golf, so why not?
1: and who is his antagonist but Ben Stiller.
0: Oh 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 Shooter, Shooter, Shooter. McGavin. Yeah. Shooter McGavin. So right, Ben Stiller's the uh, he's how Hal. he's Hal, who's the the horrible uh, guy who, who takes her grandma at the nursing home. That's right. Uh, but yeah, Shooter McGavin is
1: is is uh, the best villain. I think one of the best comedic villains of the 90s. Him ranks right up there with um, Dr. Evil from from Austin <laughs> Powers. Yeah. But Shooter McGavin <laughs> it just um some of the scenes that he has where where he is uh arguing with with uh happy mm-hmm. is 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 precious you know precious moments where you you just remember so much about the movie right
0: right so uh, you know as scott said it's a movie that's on television a lot and, and it gets played a lot and it's it's one of the uh the cornerstones of the adam sandler uh catalog i would say you know you, billy madison puts him on the map this is what kind of launches him up into that next level
1: and gen x fans who aren't fans of golf got to hear Vern lundquist uh calling the uh the tournaments right hey, so that's that's who it was that was doing all the announcing at these golf tournaments was uh verne lundquist who worked for cbs sports for many years so now those are the only golf movies
0: that i have do you have any other golf movies i do not those okay. are the only three that I have. okay